0: New City Church. My name is Tim Briggs. I'm the Community Groups Pastor here at the South Park Campus. Uh, Good to be with you, always good uh, to be with the Saturday Night Folks. And uh, we're going to begin tonight uh, with a question. So a show of hands, who has read the book Robinson Crusoe? Raise your hands if you Okay, a few more. We would have some high school English uh, teachers who would be proud of us right now. More than I thought. This is good. That's good. If you haven't uh, read the book, I'm going to summarize it really quickly. It was a book written by Daniel Defoe in 1719. It still holds up after all these years. And it's described as this. Daniel Defoe relates the tale of an English sailor marooned on a desert island for nearly three decades, an ordinary man struggling to survive in extraordinary circumstances. And it's actually based on a true story, based on a true story. There was a man, Alexander Selkirk, uh, who was aboard a ship, probably a pirate ship, in 1705. And there was a dispute between Selkirk and the captain of the ship. And we're not exactly sure what went down, whether the the captain kicked him off the ship or whether he volunteered to leave, Uh, but they left him on a deserted island. And as they're sailing away, the story goes, they said, hey, don't worry. Uh, Surely a ship will be by in the coming days and weeks uh, to pick you up. And so every day Selkirk would climb the highest mountain on the island and he would stare off into the ocean waiting for that boat to come. And it took four years. Four years for him to see a ship and flag it down and have them come aboard the island. And when they came up on the island, the crew discovered him. He was disheveled. He had a long beard, much like a modern-day castaway situation here. And uh, he didn't remember how to talk. He hadn't talked with anyone for four years years. And so he spoke in gibberish. Uh, we don't know much more about Selkirk, uh, but the fictionalized story, which it's based upon, is a story about fear and loneliness and the nature of God. And our passage today could be described in much the same way. Uh, so we're in the book of Acts. We're going through a sermon series called "Sent," and we are surveying the last a few chapters of the book of Acts. And last week Rodney was with you and he covered Acts 19 with Paul in Ephesus. And so we've got a lot, a lot of ground to cover today. We're going to go from Acts 20 all the way through Acts 23:11, and we're going to zoom in on Acts 23 and 11 uh, once we get there. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up uh, to Acts 20 and we're going to start there. And actually before we get there, just as a reminder, Paul is here on his third missionary journey. And when we read these chapters in the book of Acts, sometimes we get the sense that these these chapters come only days apart or weeks apart. But really, when when Paul comes to Christ in Acts 8, and where we're at here in Acts 20, almost 30 years has happened. 30 years of life and ministry uh, with Paul. And so this is 30 years after his conversion where we're at in this story. And in chapter 19, he's in Ephesus, and then in chapter 20, He moves throughout Asia and Macedonia doing ministry, and we're not going to zoom in on those stories, but we'd encourage you to go back and read those on your own. By the time we get to chapter 21, Paul and his crew are on their way to Jerusalem, and they're sailing across the Mediterranean Sea, and they're making some stops at some ports and islands along the way. And then we come to this scene, Acts 21, 3 through 5, if you want to follow along. Acts 21, 3 through 5 says this. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, this is some clear foreshadowing of what we're going to hear in just a moment. So days later, Paul's in Caesarea at Philip's house, and there are some brothers and sisters there prophesying in the Lord. And one of the prophets comes to Paul, and this is how Luke describes the scene, starting in Acts 21, 11. And coming to us, the prophet, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him in to the hands of the Gentiles." And first of all, you have to love how prophets deliver information, right? He couldn't just tell Paul what was about to happen. He had to show him, right? They have a, they have a flair for the dramatic. Uh, but this is the second warning that Paul has received about not going to Jerusalem. And we're wondering, what how's Paul uh, going to handle this? Luke himself is saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. So this is how Paul responds. Verse 13, then Paul answered what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm not ready, for I am ready, not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul is confident in his calling, he's resolute in his calling. And if you were to go back and read chapters 19 and 20, there are several times where Luke mentions Paul being compelled by the Spirit to enter into Jerusalem. He feels called to go to Jerusalem. And just as a quick aside for us, a quick pause in the story, don't expect everyone around you to understand God's call on your life. For some people, you're going to seem strange and weird. It's going to baffle people when you're following Jesus. Nonetheless, if God has called us to do something, we are to do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Paul's going to Jerusalem no matter what. Whatever the outcome is, he's going. So Paul's posse arrives in Jerusalem and they visit James, and this is where the trouble begins. So they share with James and the church about all the wonderful ministry that they've done among the Gentiles, and there's thanksgiving, and there's praise to God about this. But then the subject changes to circumcision. The elders say the Jews are upset regarding Paul's teaching on circumcision. They're saying that he is forsaking the law and allowing Jews to not be circumcised, which is not true because Paul was okay with Jewish believers being circumcised voluntarily. Nonetheless, the elders warn Paul that there could be some Jews out to get him. In light of this, they devise a plan for Paul to accompany some men who are going through a Nazarene vow, And this sounds like a good plan right this is a way for paul to blend in say hey i'm one of you i'm one of you look i'm 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 not forsaking your teaching i'm one of you and it kind of reminds me of me with you all okay so i'm gonna let you in on a secret can you guys keep a secret here's the deal i don't drink coffee okay here's the thing i don't know if you know this new city church we love us some coffee okay we probably drink more coffee per capita than any other church in the country. Uh, particularly on Sunday mornings, right? So I'm afraid to tell people that because I don't know what they're going to think of me when they realize I don't drink coffee. So sometimes I will carry around a mug or a thermos, right? And I'll be like, look, I'm one of you, see? It's just water, just water in there. Um, But sometimes I try to blend in among you, right? Um, So you haven't beaten me up yet, so I'm still here. But keep that a secret, okay? I want to stay employed. Um, So anyway, Paul has this plan. They have the plan, hey, blend in. You're one of them. Well, this plan didn't work out so well. Some Jews from Asia recognize Paul, and they sound the alert, and soon Paul is seized by a large crowd, and he's dragged out of the temple. And as Paul is being beaten, and he's about to be killed, some Roman soldiers arrive, and they stop the assault. And they're trying to figure out what's going on here. This is a chaotic scene. And so they bind Paul, and they're going to take him back to their barracks, And before Paul goes in, he says, Hey, can I have a chance to address this angry mob? And they let him. They let him give a speech. And so he describes his Jewish heritage, he describes his persecution of Christians, he describes his conversion. And as he's describing the aftermath of his conversion, uh, the people burst out in anger and demand that he be killed. And the Romans are still unsure of what's happening here, they're kind of caught in the middle. So they decide, well, let's just beat him. Let's see if we can beat the truth out of him and figure out what's going on here. So they flog him. And the savvy Paul calmly and coolly announces to the Romans, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You're not supposed to beat me without due cause. And so they stop. They've been caught. They did something they weren't supposed to do. And so they lay off. The next day, the Romans bring Paul to meet with the Sanhedrin. And this brings us to chapter 23. And during his time there, he's beaten some more, both by the Romans and by the Sanhedrin, and the Romans then take him away back to the barracks for safety. Paul's had quite a couple days here, which leads us to our verse, which we're gonna zoom in on for the rest of our time. Acts 23, 11. it says this, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to focus in on this verse for a bit, and we're going to see here one amazing scene and two bold commands. One amazing scene and two bold commands. And so first, this amazing scene. It says, the following night, the Lord stood by him. The Lord stood by him. And to understand how amazing this scene is, we need to properly understand Paul's mentality. What's Paul going through here? Well, he spent the past few days being jerked around between angry mobs and violent Roman soldiers. He's been beaten, he's unsure of his immediate future, and he's been separated from his friends and his ministry partners. And he's alone. And then God appears, and not only appears, but stands by Him. And there is so much good news in this scene. This scene reminds us of who God is. So who is God? He's a God who is present. He's present. Think about the storyline of the Bible for a moment. God dwelled with Adam and Eve in the garden, and He appeared to Noah. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, Samuel, David, Elijah, and Isaiah. He appeared to his people in the pillar of cloud. His presence was in the tabernacle and in the temple. And then Jesus enters the scene, Emmanuel, God with us, and he dwelled with us, he tabernacled with us. Eugene Peterson says he moved in to the neighborhood, he moved into the neighborhood. And then Jesus says to us in the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and then what does it say? Do you remember? We forget this part. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age, always, I am with you. And then we're given the Holy Spirit And Scripture tells us that our bodies are temples to the Holy Spirit. If we are in Christ, God dwells within us. Think about how crazy, wonderful that is. And then we know the end of the story, that those who are in Christ will once again dwell with God in the new heavens and the new earth. Do you see a theme here? You think God wanted to emphasize something to us in the storyline of the Bible? Of course, Paul knew this well. Jesus himself spoke to Paul in his conversion, but maybe, maybe those thoughts were far from Paul in this moment. Remember, Paul is literally beaten down. He's unsure of his future. And then the text tells us, the Lord stood by him. That should cause some goosebumps for us all. The Lord stood by him. But is this true? Is God really with us? How, how do you see God? Is God a watchmaker who, who winds up the watch and lets it go? He creates the world and he steps back and he's uninvolved. He's ambivalent. He just watches from afar. Is that how we see God? Is he a judge? Yes, he may stand by us, but only to lecture us, only to tell us when we're not living up to what he's called us to, only to judge us. Is that how we see God, as a harsh judge? God is sovereign and God is just, but listen, God is present. God is with us. Even when we don't think it, even when we don't feel it, God is with us. So in our joy... God is with us. And in our pain, God is with us. And when we're among friends and family, God is with us. And when we're alone, God is with us. Listen, if we're intent on following Jesus, there will certainly be times of loneliness in our life. But know this, loneliness is often the companion of faithfulness. They go hand in hand. Paul needed to be reminded of this truth, and perhaps so do we. Even when we're at our lowest points, even when we think that he's not there, he is. God is with us. So, in this verse, we see this amazing scene, but then it's followed by two bold commands. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Uh, Instead of take courage, some translations render this, be of good cheer. So when do you tell someone to take courage? When do you tell someone to cheer up? You do that when they're discouraged. You do that when they're down and low. And I don't know about you, but I actually find encouragement by the fact that Paul was discouraged. And, and that's because there's a permission here. Part of the baggage we encounter living in a broken world is that we will feel lonely and we will feel pain and suffering and hardship and discouragement. And that's why as a church, we want to struggle well with life. If you've been here for a while, hopefully you've heard that term. It's one of our values for a community. And the idea of struggle well with life is this, Jesus never said that life would be easy, in fact, He said the opposite. He said, you will have trouble in this world. And so we don't have to pretend. We can actually lean into that. We can actually embrace our pain and our hardship and our discouragement. And we can comfort one another. We can affirm one another. We can challenge one another. We can be present with each other. All along the way, pointing to Jesus. That's what it means to struggle well with life. So in the midst of Paul's discouragement... God shows up and he says, take courage, take courage. So what's take courage mean? It means to have a confidence and a firmness of purpose in the face of danger or testing, okay? A confidence and a firmness of purpose in the face of danger or testing. That means that courage always comes in the face of fear, right? It doesn't take courage for me to watch Netflix at night right? There's no danger there, okay? There's no danger there. We take courage in the face of fear. So what God is saying is that fear can be replaced with trust. Fear can be replaced with trust. So what can Paul trust in? At this moment, can he trust that he's going to be rescued and everything's going to be great and perfect and fine? Not necessarily. Can can, Can Paul trust in monetary reward? No, absolutely not. So what can Paul trust in? Well, Paul can trust in the following. Paul can trust in the fact that God is with him, that God has saved him, that God has a plan for him, that God works all things for our good. Now listen, not for our comfort necessarily, but for our good. And God will ultimately deliver him. So in the uncertainty of his life, in the uncertainty of imprisonment, in the uncertainty of arriving in Rome, God says, trust me. Trust me. I love how one uh, commentator describes this scene. He says, this was God providing to Paul one crumb of divine grace and help multiplied to feed 5,000 wants and anxieties. I don't know about you, but I could use a crumb. I could use a crumb. In the midst of our 5,000 wants and anxieties, God says the same thing to us. He says, know that I'm with you Know that I have saved you. Know that I have a plan for you. Know that I work all things for your good. And know that I will ultimately, ultimately deliver you. So, this was no empty, obligatory pep talk from God. No, God is saying, be faithful. See this through. Complete your mission. And remember, I'm always at work. I'm always at work. So, God says, take courage. And he's saying the same thing to us. And when we understand all that God has done, perhaps we more appropriately receive courage rather than take it. Our trust in the face of fear is not in ourselves, but it's in God. So New City Church, you may be in a prison of difficult circumstances, but receive courage. Receive courage because God is with you. Know that. So we've witnessed one amazing scene and looked into the first bold command. Now let's look at the second command. It says, uh, the following night the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. In Acts 19, we are told that Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go to Rome. In his earlier letter to the Romans confirms this. So not only is God going to save him from his current circumstances, he's going to follow through with his promise. Paul will go to Rome and he will testify there. And this should remind us of Acts 1-8, where it says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Rome represented the ends of the earth. And we should find comfort in the fact that God always delivers upon his promises. He always delivers upon his promises. So in one sense, I'm sure Paul was relieved and encouraged by this. Yet, I also wonder if he was a bit hesitant. The text says he is to testify in Rome as he did in Jerusalem. Well, it didn't go so well in Jerusalem, did it? After all, he had testified, he witnessed in the past couple of days to horrible, horrible results. He ended up being beaten, battered, and booed. Not only that, his testifying, his witnessing didn't seem to yield any results. So I imagine Paul being a bit bewildered by this. What's it mean to testify? And this is all conjecture, but I wonder in this moment, I wonder if he remembered what he said to the Corinthians. He said, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Paul knew the power of our testimony does not lie in how people respond. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, he controls that. Paul's job was to be faithful, to play a part, to sow some seed, to to bear witness, to testify. And Paul had a lot to testify about, didn't he? And so do we. I've heard people say over the years, wait a second, I I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm no good at that. I can't do that. I can't preach. That's for pastors. That's for missionaries. That's for church workers. That's That's not for me can I tell you something? That's a lie, it's a lie, it's not true. That's wrong, that's wrong. Listen, the Great Commission is given to everyone, not just a gifted few. And it's an encouragement, surely, but it's also a command, it's a command. We are to make disciples, we are to testify about Jesus. That command continues today. The book of Acts ends in Chapter 28, but the work of witnessing for the whole church continues. We are to be Jesus' witnesses. We are to testify. So here's the good news about our testimony. We're not on commission. (laughs) We're not salesmen. That's not how this works. Our job is to faithfully present Christ. God's job is to work sovereignly how he chooses, how he sees fit. We are to sow seed. That is our role. Paul testified twice over a few days, and as far as we know, no one came to Christ. Yet Paul did his job. Paul was faithful. Paul sowed seed, and God will harvest it as he sees fit. And God is now saying to Paul, your work is not done yet. I need you to do the same thing in Rome. And God is saying to us, all of us, our work is not done yet. As long as we have breath, we are to testify. And as we've learned with Jesus, and as we've learned with Stephen, even our death testifies. Ultimately, we testify because there's a grander testimony Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death we deserve. He rose again and he invites us in to new life here and now and for all of eternity. And he says to us, be my witness, testify, bear witness. And here's the thing. Once you grasp how great your sin is, but how greater the grace of God is, it should compel us to tell people, right? It should compel us. We talk about the things we love the most. When we understand our sin and God's grace, it should compel us to tell that story. Jesus has done all of the heavy lifting. We are just witnesses to that greater and grander testimony. We are just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. I mentioned Robinson Crusoe earlier. If you've read that book, you know that Robinson is never alone. Uh, midway through his exile on the island, he, has, he comes to Christ in his exile. He has this religious awakening, and he, he experiences the joy of divine companionship while alone on a desert island. This is what we see in Acts 23, 11 with Paul. Acts twenty three eleven is telling us, when the Lord stands by me, I don't have to fear what's before me. When the Lord stands by me, I don't have to fear what's before me. We don't have to fear. We can trust. Truly, this is the offer of Christ to all of us today. So New City Church, do not fear. Receive courage, testify to all that Jesus has done for you. Trust that God delivers upon his promises and know that God is with you to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? Lord, that is such good news that you are with us, that you are the type of God who wants to be in relationship with us, who is tender, who is kind, who stands with us. And Lord, we confess that we forget that sometimes. We confess that we run away from that. But Lord, remind us, remind us that you are with us. And because of that, Lord, allow us to receive your courage. Allow us to boldly uh, tell your story. Allow us to be used by you. May we find comfort in that this evening. We pray these things in your name. Amen.